Now in the following verses, we will learn about something that is known as Qital. Okay? Qital. What is Qital? Qital is on the root letters Qaf, Ta, Lam. Qatl. Qatl is to kill and Qital is to fight. Fight as a not verbal argument, but fight as in two people are out with their swords or with their guns or whatever and they're attempting to kill each other. This is what Qital is. And qital is a form, a kind of jihad. Okay, what is jihad? What is jihad? It is from juhd. And juhd is to exert one's maximum effort, to strive, to do one's best, in order to gain something, in order to repel something. For example, there is a natural disaster somewhere. Let's say there was an earthquake. What will people do? What will they do? They will say, okay, fine, our lives have been ruined. Forget it. That's it. Finished. Done. Is that what they will do? If they do that, you will say, failures. Losers. How can you help people who are losers? What do people do in such situations? They stand up. They're like, okay, whatever has happened has happened. Now, let's see what we can do. They will gather up their resources Organize, they will plan what they have to do. They will receive help. People will come in to help them. They will work day in and day out to reconstruct their lives, to rebuild their lives, right? They will not just sit there doing nothing. So jihad is to struggle, to put in one's maximum effort, whatever a person can do to achieve something or to repel something, to repel some harm. And in our religion, what is jihad? It is to strive to struggle, to do one's best in order to apply their religion, in order to support their religion, in order to promote their religion. Apply their religion, for example, Hajj. Hajj. Has anyone gone for Hajj? Is it easy? Tell me, is it easy? It's not easy. You have to spend lots of money, you have to take time out, from your work or from your school or whatever it is. You have to leave your responsibilities at home and then you travel all the way and all of a sudden you see people speaking a different language, eating different food, you know, talking in a different way. You're like, why are they driving like this? Don't they know the rules of the road? And all of a sudden, you know, you're standing in a line and then you see there's no line. Right? And then you're like, we're supposed to be moving. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in traffic for... 10 hours, for 12 hours. You think that it's lunchtime, so your group organizer should get lunch for you, and what you find out is that they're stuck in Mina, miles and miles away, and your food cannot come for the next 5-6 hours. And you're like, but we're not supposed to be fasting right now. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I want food. You're doing tawaf, it takes so long. You're doing sari, it takes so long. You're going for rummy. So application of religion, this is what you have to struggle a lot. Siyam, fasting, isn't that a jihad in itself? Of course. The jihad of women is going for hajj. Okay? So jihad first of all is what? In application of religion. This is why we say, you know, jihad bin nafs fighting against the nafs, because your nafs, your soul, your desires, they come in and they prevent you from applying the religion. Secondly, jihad is also in 
support or in defense of religion. If there's somebody who is saying bad things about your religion, what is your obligation that you go and defend the religion? They have misconceptions, you go and clarify. Right? But can you just clarify other people's misconceptions based on who you are? Can you do that? No. Don't you have to have some evidences, some research that is done? Right? You have to be of someone who is considered as an authority as well. So to get to that level, to gain that kind of knowledge, to develop that kind of ability, to remove misconceptions about Islam, isn't that a struggle on its own? Isn't it? It is. Think about it. All those people who strive to study the religion, and then they go and defend the religion, it's a big effort. Have you heard stories of people who go to study the religion, to study the deen? It's not easy. It's very hard. I remember somebody was telling me about uh, one of their relatives, they went somewhere to study, and they were in the boarding of that particular Islamic university, and that place was full of cockroaches. Imagine a person goes from North America, and then they see cockroaches everywhere. I mean, it's a struggle, right? And I also read the student, they had written how they spend their day. How they spend their day in that Islamic university, and how they wake up so early in the morning. I mean, before Fajr, okay? And they're at the masjid. They're revising their Qur'an, they're studying their Qur'an, and then after Fajr, again they have a Tajweed Halaqa, or Tahfil Halaqa, they go to another Halaqa, one after the other, one class after the other, until it's Zuhr time. Can you imagine being awake all the way till Zuhr? These days we have to wake up for half an hour, 45 minutes for Suhoor and Fajr, and we're like, oh, we have to sleep in. Right? Just imagine, it's not easy, it's very hard. So, in support of religion, right? And sometimes, this support, this defense, it goes to the level of what? That if people are coming to fight you physically, then what are you going to do? Sit there and smile at them? If you do that, I mean, you're going to be finished. Right? So, jihad includes support of religion, defense of religion. But it doesn't mean that you're standing with a gun all the time. Anybody dare to say anything against a religion? Shoot, shoot, shoot. No, this is not what jihad means. Jihad means that when somebody is coming to fight against you, then you defend yourself. And inshallah we will learn about that. And the third is in promotion of religion. You have to struggle to do that as well. Have you ever heard of Christian ministries, how they leave their houses, their countries, their easy, comfortable lives, and they will go to villages in Africa, they will go to villages in you know, Asia, and they will learn the language of the people, they will live amongst them so that they can tell them about their religion? Have you heard about that? This is something that's not unknown. It's something that we're not unfamiliar with. So if a person strives to tell other people about religion, isn't that a struggle on its own? It is. So remember, jihad is not just of one type. Alright, all of this talk I'm giving you, why? To make it clear to you that jihad is not just of one type. Okay? And qital is only a part of jihad. Is only a part of jihad. So over here, in these verses, we will learn about qital. Because so far we have been learning about the struggle to implement the religion, right? But what about the situation where somebody is coming to fight you because you are a believer, only because of your faith? Nothing 
else but your faith. So in that situation, what are you going to do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides the believers concerning that as well. So, وَقَاتِلُوا and fight فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ in the way of Allah. قَاتِلُوا This is a command from Qital, Qaf Dalam. That fight, O believers, فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ in the way of Allah. سَبِيل سِينْ بَالَام Way, path. Meaning, in the cause of Allah. Who should you fight? الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those people who fight you. يُقَاتِلُونَ Same root. But what are the rules of fighting? وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا And do not commit transgression. Why? Because إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ Indeed, Allah does not like those people who commit transgression. مُعْتَدِينَ لَا تَعْتَدُوا From the root letters, عَيْنْ دَالْ وَاو There's three things that we learn in this verse. First of all, that believers, when they fight, they should fight, why? فِي سَبِيلِ Secondly, who should they fight? Who should they fight? Anybody? Their neighbors? Yeah? Who should they fight? الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those who fight you. And thirdly, what are the rules of fighting? What are the rules of war? لَا تَعْتَدُوا Do not commit any transgression. These three things mainly we learn from this verse. The first thing that we learn is that believers when they fight, they're fighting فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They're fighting فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ What does it mean by فِي سَبِيلِ It means that a person fights only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, he's not fighting to show how able he is and how strong he is and how fearless he is and how mighty he is. No. He is fighting to earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, a person is not fighting to gain worldly riches. That he's like, okay, fine, if we defeat these people, we'll get all that land. We'll get all that wealth. No, that's not the objective. What is the purpose of fighting in Islam? that you're fighting only to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ikhlasun niyyah, sincerity of intention. We learn from a hadith, مَنْ قَاتَلَ لِتَكُونَ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ هِيَ الْعُلْيَا فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The one who fights so that the word of Allah is exalted, meaning he's fighting really for the sake of Allah, then that person is in the way of Allah. That person is fighting for the sake of Allah. Secondly, fighting in the way of Allah means that a person fights in the way that has been prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where Allah has given us the rules of praying, the rules of fasting, the rules of hajj, He has also given the believers the rules of fighting. How? In what way? When? What are the limits? What are they allowed? What are they not allowed? These rules also a person has to observe. So the first thing, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ The second thing, who should you fight against? Those people who fight you. So fight them in their fighting you. The third thing that we learn is, that وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا The rules of fighting, do not commit transgression. What is اِعْتِدَاء? اِعْتِدَاء is from عِنْدَ الْوَاو and عَدْوٌ is to cross limits. Okay? From the same root as adu, enemy. Because an enemy in his enmity, in his hatred, he does not care about any limits. So, لا تعتدو, Do not 
commit any transgression. Now, i'tida, transgression in fighting, could be in two ways. First of all, in the haq of Allah, and secondly, in the haq of those people who are being fought. In the haq of Allah, how could a person transgress when fighting? Like I mentioned earlier, there are certain rules that Allah has given to us. We have to observe. And if a person does not observe them, then he is committing transgression against who? Against Allah. You see? Allah has said, you can only fight in this way at this time, these people. But if you don't follow those rules, then you are committing transgression against who? Against who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah has, in our sharia, it is made very clear that for example, women must not be killed. Children must not be killed. Monks, people who are worshippers, who have nothing to do with fighting, they must not be killed. Property must not be destroyed. Innocent people must not be harmed. But if a person thinks that fighting is killing innocent people, then he is committing transgression against who? Forget the people. He is committing transgression against who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if you're trying to capture a tyrant or whatever, you cannot kill innocent people on the way. It's not something that's permissible. Women, children, monks, old, people who are not participating in the battle, they are not to be harmed. Secondly, i'tida could be with regards to the haq of the muqatili, meaning those people who are being fought. That a person commits transgression against the enemy. What do people say? In love and war, everything is fair. But what do we learn from this? That in love and war even, everything is not fair. Everything is not allowed. In war, you don't follow your desires. Even then, you cannot commit transgression against the enemy. You can fight the enemy, but you're not going to commit transgression against the enemy. What would be transgression against the enemy? That for example, a person says, okay, they're making a deal with the enemy, we're not going to fight now. For the next two months, no no fighting, nothing. And then as soon as the enemy lays down their arms, then a person goes and fights them. This is what? Transgression, breaking a treaty, violating a promise. Likewise, killing women, old, monks, children, destroying crops, destroying properties, this is something that's not allowed. The Prophet ﷺ, whenever he dispatched any troops, he would tell them that do not behave treacherously, nor misappropriate the war booty, nor mutilate those whom you kill, nor children. Don't even mutilate the dead. And don't kill children. Don't kill children. And if a person kills them, this is what? I'tida, transgression. Mutilation, that... If a person has been killed, then their body is mutilated. So for example, you know, they're cut up and they're doing all these gross things to the body that you can't even talk about, you can't even imagine. Right? Cutting up their heads and cutting up their eyes and cutting up their feet and then mailing them to certain people that, oh look, we have killed your person. This is what? Mutilation of the dead. This is something that's not allowed. Okay? So, لا تعتدو. Why? Because in Allah لا يحب المعتدين. Allah does not like those people who transgress. Imagine, a person goes to fight in the cause of Allah. He's saying, I'm going to do the hardest thing that's for me. You know, I'm going to fight in the way of Allah. And he commits transgression. And you know what? Allah doesn't like him anymore. What a fail. 
Allah does not like him anymore. Think about it. He's going to fight. And he commits transgression. And Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ We learned earlier, وَالصَّابِرِينَ فِي الْبَأْسَاءِ وَالضَّرَّاءِ وَحِينَ الْبَأْسِ Those who are patient. When? At the time of war even. And patience does not mean that you just stay there. But patience also means that you control yourself from doing that which is wrong. Even when you are tempted to harm an innocent person, you don't do that. Because, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ In this ayah basically, the believers are being given permission to fight. By the command, قَاتِلُوا The Muslims are being told, now you may fight. Because initially the believers were not allowed to raise their weapons against the enemy. No matter how much their enemy tortured them. No matter how much their enemy abused them. They were not allowed to fight them back. We know that the Prophet ﷺ and the believers, they were in Mecca for how long? 13 years. And those 13 years weren't easy. They weren't easy. They suffered a lot of hardship. Many were killed, brutally killed. The father, the mother were killed in front of a child, in front of their son. A person would be laid on burning hot sand and extremely heavy rocks were placed on his chest and he would be poked, you know with what? With coal. Not with a finger but with coal. We cannot even imagine being in a situation like that. A person would be reciting Qur'an and he would be beaten up until people would think that's it, he's finished, he's dead. Imagine, for just the recitation of the Qur'an, people are beating you. For just praying salah, people are beating you. Can you just imagine that? And this whole time, the Muslims were told, kuffu aydiyakum. Keep your hands to yourselves. Meaning don't raise your hands, don't fight yet. Don't say anything to the enemy. The Muslims, they were persecuted so much that many of them had to secretly migrate to Abyssinia. Secretly. Because if people found out that they were leaving, they would kill them. A woman would be traveling, she would be on her animal, and she would be pregnant, pushed off. That's it. She lost her child. She had a miscarriage. A person would be going from Mecca, traveling, leaving Mecca, so that he can at least practice his religion freely. And he's told that either you go and leave your wealth, or you don't go. Imagine all your money. You're told you can't take any of it. This is religious persecution. The Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims, they suffered a total boycott for three years. For three years. They were driven out of the main population. They lived in a gorge, in a valley between mountains. And you know what they would eat off of? Leaves. Leather. Animal skin. Anything they would find. Because the mushikin would not trade with them, would not buy and sell. Nothing at all. This was the situation that the Muslims were suffering from. And finally, they decided to kill the Prophet ﷺ as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to leave Mecca and he migrated to Medina with the help of Allah. And when the Muslims were in Medina, did the mushrikeen leave them? Did they leave them? No. 
those Muslims whose families were still in Makkah, they were being persecuted. We know about the companions who were still in Makkah and they were being tortured. Why? Just because they were Muslim and they were not being tortured by you know people who didn't know them. No, they were being tortured by their own brothers, by their own fathers, by their own uncles. By their own uncles, their own fathers. At the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when the Prophet ﷺ was about to sign the treaty, what happened? When he was about to say that yes, this treaty may be in effect, what happened? A companion came running from Makkah. He was all shackled. He said, please save me. Save me. Take me out of Makkah. Imagine. Muslims were persecuted a lot. And this whole time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you cannot fight back. Why? Because they weren't able to. They were very few in number. And if they started fighting, their enemy was stronger. And what would that mean? They would finish. They would finish completely. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, be patient, forgive them. And because of that patience, because of that forgiveness, we see that Islam grew. So many people, they accepted Islam. So, eventually when the Prophet ﷺ, Muslims immigrated to Medina, and in Medina an Islamic state was established, and even there the Muslims were not spared, every now and then the mushrikeen would come, and they would harm a person who would be around Medina, you know, take his property, loot his property, kill him, kill his people, then obviously the Muslims had to take some kind of stand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Muslims then, وَقَاتِلُوا That now you may fight. But who are you going to fight? الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those people who fight you. And still remember that no matter how angry you are, no matter how much you hate your enemy, no matter how much revenge you want to take, don't commit transgression. You still have to control yourself. Because in Allah la yuhibbul mu'tadeen. Waqtuluhum and kill them. Meaning kill your enemy. This is different from qatilu. Qatilu fight. Uqtulu kill. The intensity is increasing over here. The intensity of the command. That fight them, meaning fight your enemy, kill your enemy. حَيْسُ Wherever سَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ Wherever you find them. سَقِفْتُمُو From the root letters, سَقَفَ سَقِفَ سَقْف سَقْف is to meet someone, to come across someone, but not to have a cup of tea with them, but to combat them, to fight them. This is what سَقَفَ means. That a person meets someone, he finds someone in front of him, but why? Are they in front of each other? To fight each other. Okay? From this the word saqifa is also to combat someone, to catch someone, to gain mastery over them. So, وَقْتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ Kill them wherever you overcome them. Wherever you overcome your enemy. Anytime, any place, whether it is in the battlefield, or it is outside of the battlefield. When you come across your enemy, then what are you going to do? You're going to kill the enemy. وَاقْتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ إِخْرَاج خَرَجِيم What does إِخْرَاج mean? To expel. So expel the enemy 
From where? Min haythu akhrajukum. From where they expelled you. They drove you out of Makkah. Now you are going to fight them until you break their power and you drive them out of Makkah. They deprived you of your right. Now you are going to take revenge. Now what does this verse mean? Kill them wherever you find them. Does it mean that the believers are to kill any quote-unquote infidel wherever they find him, wherever they meet him, at the grocery store, in the school, in the university, in a workplace, neighbors? Because this is what people say. Look at your Quran. It says, وَقْتُلُوهُمْ حَيْسُ زَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ Is this what this means? If that was the intent of the verse, then you know what? No Jew could survive in Medina. Really. In Medina, Jews used to live for a very long time. Likewise, there were mushrikeen who lived in Medina. I'm not talking about Makkah, I'm talking about Medina. There were mushrikeen who lived in Medina. Everybody did not accept Islam right away. Likewise, if that was the case, then when the Prophet ﷺ conquered Makkah, then he would not spare any person. So then this ayah does not mean that kill any disbeliever that you find anywhere. This is with regards to a specific context. And what is that context? What is that context? That the Muslims of Medina were basically at war with who? The mushrikeen of Makkah. Not any mushrik, but the mushrikeen of who? Of Makkah. And their alliances, those who supported them, those tribes that supported the mushrikeen of Makkah. Okay? And when war is declared between two people, when war is declared between two people, two groups, then when and where do they fight? Only in the battlefield? Is it so? No. It's also outside of the battlefield, right? Wherever you find the enemy, you catch him. This is why we see that, for example, if there's a criminal and he's on the run, then he is caught wherever he is found. Right? It's not said that, no, no, he should be found guilty at the crime scene, only then you can catch him, otherwise you can't catch him. No. Wherever you find him, you take him. You don't let him go. So likewise, when war is declared between two people, then they will fight each other, not just in the battlefield, but also outside of that. Not just at a time when they are intensely fighting with each other, but in that whole period when war is declared between them. So, initially the Muslims were not allowed to fight. There was no war declared between them. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the Muslims, you may fight. And then war was declared between the Muslims of Medina and Mushrikeen of Makkah. Which meant that if the Mushrikeen of Makkah did anything to harm the Muslims, what would they do? They would take revenge. If they had a chance to gain mastery over the mushrikeen and to take revenge in any way or form, what would they do? They would do it. Because they had to do that. And the thing is that when war is declared between two nations or two people, then you don't just wait for the battle. Because if you keep waiting for the other to attack you, then what's going to happen? You won't be able to win. Right? In war, many times people take the initiative so that they can be victorious. So this is what this means. 
And expel them from where they have expelled you. They expelled you from Makkah, you have to expel them from Makkah. And if you think about it, they expelled the Muslims when they were innocent. Now the Muslims, when they expel them, their enemy is guilty. So are the Muslims not justified in what they were doing? Of course. Did they not have the right? Definitely they had the right. So وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَخْرَجُوكُمْ وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ And the fitna is more severe, it is worse than what? Than killing. Fitna is worse than killing. What is fitna? Fitna is from the root letters فَاتَانُونَ And the word fitna is used in many different ways. The literal, the primary meaning of the word is to burn gold or to expose gold to fire. Why? In order to cleanse it, in order to mold it, to give shape to it, to clean it. Okay? So this is the literal meaning of the word fatana. From this, the word fitna is used in many different ways. It is used for punishment. ذوقوا fitnatakum, Punishment of burning. It is also used for trials and tribulations, difficulties. We learned earlier that Harut and Marut, they said, إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ fitna. We are a trial, we are a test. Likewise, the word is also used for tempting someone away from the right, from the truth. That you tempt them, or a situation tempts them that they want to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To tempt someone to leave their faith, to go against the truth. Right? And this could be done in different ways. By making something very attractive, and also by making something very difficult. So for example, for a person, another human being of the opposite gender could be a fitna. What does that mean? Temptation to disobey Allah. Temptation to have wrong thoughts. To want to do something wrong. Do you see what I mean? So it's a fitna. Temptation to disobey Allah. Something that is made attractive. Another kind of fitna is when something is made difficult. So for example, a person wants to put on the hijab. But the family says there is no way you're going to do it. They're making it difficult. The society says there is no way you're going to be accepted if you wear that. So difficulty is being created and as a result a person will be tempted to leave the truth. They will say, oh wearing hijab is too difficult, I'm not doing it. You see what I mean? So fitna, over here what does it mean? It means religious persecution. What does it mean over here? Religious persecution. It is making religion hard on someone, difficult for them. So they're tempted to leave it. They're tempted to abandon their faith. Allah says that fitna is ashaddu min al-qatl. It is worse than killing. The Muslims were being told, kill your enemy, kill those who fight you. When a person is killed, okay, what happens? They're deprived of their life. That's it. The Muslims were killing the enemy, and the enemy, what were they doing? They were putting the Muslims in fitna. Okay? Muslims were just killing the enemy, and the enemy was putting the Muslims in fitna. How? That they were making 
the practicing of religion so hard for them that the Muslims, many of them almost wanted to give up or they were at the verge of giving up. We learn in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Buruj that إِنَّ الَّذِينَ فَتَنُوا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ Indeed, those people who persecute the believing men and the believing women. Meaning, they persecute them because of their religion. They stop them from the way of Allah. They don't give them religious freedom. They're not allowed to pray. They're not allowed to worship. They're not allowed to practice their rituals. And they are opposed simply because of their faith. This fitna, Allah says it is worse than killing. Why? How is it worse than killing? We think that the worst thing a person could do is kill someone. But Allah says no, killing is not as bad. What is worse is fitna, persecuting someone because of their faith. You know how? You know how? When a person is killed, only their life is taken away. But when a person is alive and they're not allowed to practice their religion, then it is as though you're killing them every single day. You're taking their freedom away. They're alive, but they cannot live. You understand? When a person is killed, that's it, finished. But when a person is alive, yet they cannot live. They live in fear. They suffer persecution. They're not allowed to make their decisions. They're not allowed to do what they want to do. Then what do they say? This is living hell. Right? This is what people say. That I don't want to live here. I don't want to live like this. I'd rather die. And also when a person is persecuted because of his faith, and if he leaves his religion because of that, then it is much worse. If you killed him, it wouldn't have been as bad as making him leave his religion. Forcing him to abandon his faith. Because in the Quran we learn that in Surah Al-Hajj, Ayah 11, وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ فِتْنَةً إِنْ قَلَبَ عَلَى وَجْهِهِ خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ That if a person is persecuted because of his faith, and he becomes weak, he gives up his faith, then what happens? He suffers loss of dunya and akhirah. He's a failure in dunya, and he's a failure in the akhirah. He's an absolute failure then. So, وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ They are creating fitna, and you are just to kill them. You are just to take revenge. And part of their fitna was what? Part of their fitna was also killing Muslims, right? They hadn't let the Muslims live. No, they had killed many Muslims. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ To explain to us why it is reasonable to fight them. Why it makes sense to fight the enemy? Why is it allowed? Because some people object. They say, why are Muslims allowed to fight in battle? Why? This is the reason why. You have to stop that fitna. Because if you let that fitna prevail, then who will have freedom? Who will be able to practice religion? Nobody. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He did not create us for others. He created us for His worship. And if we're not allowed to worship Him, then this is worse for us. So, وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ And do not fight them. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Muslims about the rules. That don't fight the enemy in the Masjid al-Haram near the sacred mosque. What is the Masjid al-Haram? Where is it located? In Makkah. And Makkah 
is a place that is known as haram. Right? What does that mean? That it is a very sacred place. There are some things that people are not allowed to do over there. For example, what are they not allowed to do? Hmm? Cutting trees, likewise. Killing each other, fighting each other. These are things that people are not allowed to do in the area of haram. So, وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ عِنْدَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ So if you have to fight them, you're not going to fight them in that place, near the Masjid al-Haram, in the area of Haram. You're not allowed to fight them over there. Meaning, even if you catch the enemy over there, are you going to kill them? Are you going to fight them? No, you're not going to do that. But what if they're fighting you in the Haram? Then what? Allah says, حَتَّى يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِيهِ Unless, until they fight you in it. So in other words, even if you find your enemy in the haram, you're not going to attack. Elsewhere, you may do so. But in the haram, you're not going to do so. Unless they are attacking you. So if they attack you, then obviously you have to fight back. فَإِن قَاتَلُوكُمْ Then if they fight you, فَاقْتُلُوهُمْ Then kill them. Why? كَذَلِكَ Like that is جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ The recompense for the disbelievers. Meaning, if a person does not even respect the haram, then he will not be respected. If he does not respect the sanctity of the haram, then his life will not be respected either. And this is the reason why the scholars have said that if a person commits a crime outside of Makkah and runs into the haram to seek refuge, can you kill him? Can you fight him? Can you punish him there? You cannot. But if a person commits a crime in the haram, then where will he be punished? In the haram. Because he did not respect the haram, and he will not be respected anywhere. So, كَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ Thus is the punishment, the recompense of those who disbelieve. فَإِنْ إِنْتَهَوْ Then if they seize, إِنْتَهَوْ نُونْ هَا nahi To stop. And إِنْتَهَا To stop oneself, to desist, to seize. So if they seize, if they give up, what do they give up? Fighting you. Because earlier it was said, fight those who fight you. But let's say they were fighting you previously, now they said, that's it, we're not going to fight you. Then what should you do? Fight them anyway? Because they harmed you before, so you're going to harm them now? No. If they stop from their violent ways, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Then indeed Allah is forgiving and He is merciful. And this is especially referring to that if they accept Islam, then Allah is forgiving and merciful. Think about it. A person who persecuted the Muslims, who fought against the Muslims, who killed Muslims, what would you think? Such a person should never be forgiven. Such a person should never be shown any mercy. But what does Allah say? That even if that person, he stops, he repents to Allah, then Allah will be forgiving and merciful towards him. Look at the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at his karam, look at his fadl, how generous he is, how forgiving he is, how noble he is. That no matter who turns to him begging his forgiveness, Allah will forgive him. And we see that for example, the person who killed Hamza radullahu anhu. What was his name? Wahshi. Imagine he killed 
not just a companion, but an uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. He accepted Islam. Can you imagine? He accepted Islam later. And that meant that the Muslims were not allowed to harm him anymore. Before, they could. But now, no more. And we see that that same person, Wahshi, you know what he did when he became a Muslim afterward? He is the one who killed Musaylamah Al-Kadhab. You know who Musaylamah Al-Kadhab is? You can tell by the name Al-Kadhab, the greatest liar. He is the one who claimed to be a prophet in imitation of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, okay, I will also claim to be a prophet. And he wrote to the Prophet ﷺ, you give half the authority to me, half the kingship to me, and you keep half of it. And he waged war. So anyway, Wahshi is the one who killed Musaylam al-Kadhab. Likewise we see, Khalid ibn Walid, radiyallahu anhu. It's amazing. When we're reading the seal of the Prophet ﷺ, the Makkan era, we're talking about Khalid ibn Walid and Abu Sufyan. And you know we want to say bad things, but we can't. Because who are they? Radiyallahu anhu. Right? Because they later accepted Islam. They're the ones who led people in battle against the Muslims at Badr, at Uhud. They're the ones who killed many Muslims. But later, they're the ones who accepted Islam. And then they led other Muslims in battle. Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl. You know about him? Who was he? The son of Abu Jahl. The greatest enemy. Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl, he accepted Islam. He waged war against the Prophet ﷺ as well. Think about Umar radiallahu anhu. The man who went out to kill the Prophet ﷺ is now buried a few inches away from him. Allah is forgiving and merciful. And if Allah is so forgiving, then what should we do? Sometimes it happens that a person is harsh to us, they're mean to us, they don't give us our right, and they're doing whatever they're doing out of plain ignorance. And later on they apologize, they change their ways. Then what should we do? We should say things like, oh, first impression is the last impression. They treated me like that, I can never forget that image. No, we should also be forgiving. If Allah can forgive, then who are we? Who are we? If they killed the servants of Allah, the righteous servants of Allah, the worshippers of Allah, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and yet Allah forgave them? Look at the injustice. Compare that to the injustice that is done against us. What is that? It's nothing. Then why can't we forgive? وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ And fight them. Meaning fight the enemy. حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ until there is no fitna. So what is the goal of fighting, of war in Islam? Why are Muslims allowed to fight? Or what is the limit? Or what is the objective? What is the purpose? What is the objective that they have to achieve by fighting? حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ fitna. Until there is no fitna. So basically, the Muslims are to fight until religious persecution is finished. Until people are not persecuted because of their faith. So in any place, in any time, if people are being persecuted because of their religion, then it is the duty of Muslims to stand up 
and defend themselves. And fight those who create trouble for others. So, وَقَاتِلُهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ Until there is no fitna. And if you think about it, as long as the enemy will be in power, there will be fitna. Correct? Like for example, the mushrikeen of Makkah. Until they had authority over Makkah, did they persecute the Muslims? Of course they did. Even though the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was signed, still, were the Muslims persecuted? Yes, they were. Was there treachery? Of course there was. So, what's the way of finishing fitna? Finishing the enemy. Breaking the power of the enemy. Because if you let someone have power, then what will they do? They will misuse that power. If you let an oppressive person have even a little bit of power, they will misuse that power and they will continue to oppress. So what's the solution? You take all power away from them. Correct? Because if you leave even a little bit with them, they're going to oppress others. And this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ conquered Makkah. حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ fitna. Fitna was completely finished. وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ And the deen is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does deen mean over here? Deen means worship. It doesn't just mean religion. It also means worship. Meaning all worship is done exclusively for who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning people worship Allah. People are free to worship Allah. Because as long as the enemy is going to have power, they're not going to let the Muslims worship Allah. So what do you have to do? Break the power of the enemy so that the Muslims have freedom to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But remember one thing. Later on inshallah we will learn that there are two kinds of non-Muslims. There are those non-Muslims who persecute Muslims because of their faith. And there are other kind of non-Muslims who don't persecute Muslims because of their faith. Who say, live and let live. You are allowed to do whatever and we should be allowed to do whatever. You understand? So in some places, some societies, Muslims are not given freedom of religion. And in other societies, they are given freedom of religion. So where they are given freedom of religion, are they to fight against those non-Muslims? No. But where they are not given freedom of religion, where their rights are being taken away from them, then over there the Muslims, they have to stand up for themselves. This is why we see that when the Muslims were in Abyssinia, and Abyssinia was the government was Christian, they had religious freedom. Did the Muslims ever fight the ruler? No. No, they didn't. But in Makkah, where the authority figures were non-Muslims, but they were also persecuting the Muslims because of their faith, and over there the Muslims had to fight them. So you see? So, وَقَاتِلُهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ فَإِنْ انْتَهَوْ Then if they stop, if they cease, meaning if the enemy stops persecuting you, فَلَا عُدْوَانَ Then there should be no hostility إِلَّا عَلَى الظَّالِمِينَ Except against who? Those who transgress. Udwan is from the root letters, عِنْدَلْ Wow. And what does Udwan mean? Transgression. Over here it does not mean that you commit transgression against those who oppress, but rather, over here Udwan gives a meaning of hostility, any military action, right? It will only be done against who? Those who oppress. 
So in other words, fight only until peace is attained. Once peace is attained, that's it. No more need to fight. And you will only raise up your arms against those who disrupt that peace, those who create chaos. Let's listen to the recitation. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ وَقُتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَخْرَجُوكُمْ وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ عِنْدَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ حَتَّى يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِيهِ فَإِنْ قَاتَلُوكُمْ فَقُتُلُوهُمْ كَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ فَإِنْ انْتَهَوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ فَإِنْ انْتَهَوْا فَلَا عُدْوَانَ إِلَّا عَلَى الظَّالِمِينَ So if you were to summarize all of this, what would you say? That fight who? Those who fight you. But if they let you be, then you let them be. And fight until when? You have peace. And once peace is attained, then that's it. Live peacefully. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayki.